Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 3. And um, our text today is going to be verses 7 and 8. As you know, um, this section is a preface uh, before Paul uh, is going to be going into this prayer of spiritual strength. Uh, And so far, he has shown us uh, and taught us about this mystery that he has been called to uh, impart to the world, that he was on the world stage at a time in which a mystery that was hidden for ages uh, was going to be made known through uh, the life, death, and burial of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and today we're going to take a look um, at really just one phrase out of uh, verse uh, 7, actually verse 8, uh, where it, it calls me to stop for a moment because it's uh, one that I, I think we should consider uh, for a few moments this morning. Uh, and two, as we uh, look at John the Baptist, because he had this same mindset uh, of uh, humbling himself, as it were, or stepping aside so that Christ could be the focal point of their message. Uh, and so if you look along there at verse 7, I'll, I'll go ahead and read the, those two verses. It says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, through, or yeah, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So let's take a moment just to look at that word minister. Um, This is a a word that you're going to recognize uh, in uh, the text because it is a word that is used to speak of deacons. Uh, It's diakonos. uh, And literally it means to run errands, to attend, uh, to be a waiter at a table or in other menial duties, Specifically, uh, a Christian teacher, pastor, or a deacon. Uh, And so this word, as Paul is saying, he says, of this gospel, of this mystery that is now revealed, uh, that I have the privilege of being able to communicate uh, to uh, the audience uh, here in the church at Ephesus, uh, he says, I have been made a minister. Uh, so he's been, uh, you know, given us pictures of being a prisoner or a servant of Jesus Christ, that he's an apostle. Uh, and now we see that he's a minister. He is a servant of God uh, to basically uh, share this good news and to serve God and serve others in this way. And you'll notice here in the text that he also takes the time to emphasize the source of this calling. Which, if you remember, Paul was, uh, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was all about himself. You know, you know, as to, to zeal, he was the, the zealot of the ages. If, if you wanted to look and see someone who was very religious, that, that, you know, was crossing every T and dotting every I in relation to his faith uh, in God, which was misplaced because he did not know the Savior, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he persecuted him as well as those that believed in him before his conversion. But his life was characteristic of about, about being all about him. It was all internalized, you know, me, myself, and I. And now we see here that he's emphasizing this calling so that other people aren't going to think that this is just, you know, the next step or the next level or the next chapter in who Saul, who became Paul, uh, used to be. Uh, and so you'll notice there in the text, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. It, you know, he uses the words gift of God's grace. It was given to me by the working of his power. 
this grace was given. So in other words, he is separating himself out from this, showing that this is from God and that this message that he is communicating is from God. Uh, This is not something that he has cleverly devised. It's not something that he has brought forth in and of his own being. Matter of fact, as we will continue here, he minimizes himself uh, because he will use the, you know, in the text there, I'm the very least of all the saints. And we're going to take a look at that in a moment. But this separating out, this this calling, uh, if you remember back to um, uh, Saul's conversion experience, you know, when he was persecuting the church and he was, you know, on the road and was blinded by uh, that light and was, you know, approached by uh, the risen Lord. It says there in uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 15, it says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. And so here's the purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So even going back to Paul's conversion experience, you'll notice that it says he was appointed as a servant. Jesus was appointing him for a particular task. Now that word servant there is not diakonos, it's actually a different word, uh, huparetes, which means anyone who aids another in a work or assistant of a preacher of the gospel. So Paul was set apart as a minister, as someone who was going to, you know, be a servant to the people, to serve others when, you know, it was all about Paul before. He elevated himself. He was a very proud Pharisee. Uh, And what we find is that what happens when Christ comes into someone's life is that they're humbled. They're brought truly to their spiritual knees so that they can only see their sin and only see the Savior. And so Paul, you know, after establishing that he's a minister, that this is a gift of God's grace, that it was given to him to proclaim the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, he makes this interesting statement. He says, to me, in verse 8, though I am the very least of all the saints... Now, when is the last time you ever considered yourself the least of anything? You know, this is humbling language. This is something where, you know, in our, our culture, in our lives, we, we, like to, we like to be patted on the back. We like to be lifted up. We like to feel accomplished. Um, the last thing we want to do is, you know, go around beating ourselves up, you know, so that we, we feel, you know, less than uh, the rest of those around us. So why is Paul, you know, using this language? And, and matter of fact, even in our Greek text, it really doesn't, or I should say our English text, it doesn't give us the full picture. Because he says, I'm the very least of all the saints. But actually in Greek, it's less than the least, uh, is how it's literally translated. And I'm going to take a couple minutes here, and you have to bear with me. Um, I was pretty excited about this. You may not be as much. Uh, but maybe by the time we're done here in a few moments, you'll understand how 
much, Paul is moving, removing himself from all of this so that he is not the focal point, but that Jesus Christ is. Um, you know, and, and it's not because he is you know, trying to be a martyr, as it were. I mean, he, he realizes what he did because his eyes have been opened to the truth that he was a persecutor of the church. He was a persecutor of those who knew Jesus Christ. You know, but he was also called by God for a particular purpose. Uh, and I want us to see this because th- this word that's translated in your English, uh, very least of the saints, or literally less than the least, is the only time this word is used in the New Testament, in the Bible itself. You won't find it anywhere else. And so it's, this is not a mistake, and Paul has a tendency to do this sometimes. He brings words in that are only used by him. Um, because of, you know, the, the way in which the Spirit worked through him and, and through his, the intelligence that he had, his ability to, to know language. Uh, and so this is a very unusual expression. Matter of fact, what we call it is a comparative of the superlative. And I'm going to define that for you so you understand uh, exactly what this is because it will help you see how humbled Paul has become because of Christ in him. He's not the same individual. He is not Saul, the Pharisee. He is Paul, an apostle, Paul, a prisoner, Paul, a minister of the gospel, something that was given to him, not something that he took, not something that he acquired. This is something that he was given by God's grace. So the superlative... Uh, by definition, is something that is of or relating to or constituting the degree of grammatical comparison that denotes an extreme or unsurpassed level or extent. So simply put is that this will a superlative is something that takes you to the, the nth degree of something. Um, it's going to be something that is going to show you either the, the, the bottom or the extent to which, uh, or the height even, it doesn't have to be the bottom, of what something is being described. And so that's the word least here uh, that Paul is using, uh, which we know the least of something is the lowest of importance or the smallest in size or degree. Okay, so is there anything less than least? Well, in our minds, no. By definition, no. So what does Paul do is he takes that superlative least and he adds another comparative to it to say, I'm less than least. Okay, which again, uh, he's taking something that denotes a, a quality or a quantity and making it less than what it actually would be. Um, you know, we don't go around, if we say that something is the least, we don't say anything other than it's, it's the least. Um, it doesn't have any, you know, there's nothing less than it. But Paul is saying, you know what? I am less than the least of the saints. So why would he debase himself in such a way? Because Paul's eyes had been opened in such a way that he saw his religiosity, he saw everything that he was, he saw his pride through the eyes of the Savior. For the very first time, he was humbled to the ground to realize that he was wrong, that he needed to 
confess his sins, he needed to be made right with God because everything that he had done, even though it was religious in the eyes of those around him, and as he elevated himself as a Pharisee above Pharisees, you know, born, you know, into the, the, the right clan, you know, circumcised right when he was supposed to be circumcised, all those things meant nothing in comparison to what Christ did on that day, on that road, when he was humbled for him to be able to see that it's not about him any longer. It's about what Christ had done in him and was going to do through him, which he says is a gift of God's grace. And the last time we have been humbled in such a way, do we say, well, that's, that was a gift. You know, let me eat crow, let me eat humble pie and, and say that's a gift. Most of the time we don't like to eat humble pie. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. And maybe, maybe I'm the exception in the room. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just that, that much more prideful, and, and God needs to work in my life. But, you know, the scriptures speak a lot about pride and, you know, and humbling yourself before God. And Paul would have been the, you know, in his eyes, the epitome of being the very proudest Pharisee alive in his day. And here he is saying that, you know, because of Christ, I am less than the least. Now, some believe that he is making a play on the meaning of his Roman surname, Paulus, which means small. But, you know, that may be. But I believe as, as, I, as I look at the New Testament, as I, I take a look at Paul's life, that this is more than just a play on his name being small, you know, as a Roman surname. This is Paul seeing himself through God's eyes to be humbled to the point of knowing that I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. I didn't acquire this through, you know, knowledge that I've uh, I've attained. This is a gift of God, not by works, so that I can't even boast. I can't even take credit for it. God has transformed me in such a way that I see myself in the presence of the holy God of all, realizing that I am the the least, not only the least, but less than the least. And the thing is, is that there's, there's something to be said about us moving out of the way, not making it always about us. You know, and as Kurt even pointed out this morning, that the reason why we even gather together here this morning is not about us. It's about focusing on our Savior. It's about giving praise and honor and glory to God. And to do that corporately, as brothers and sisters, as those who have been redeemed, as those who have been saved, who are beneficiaries of that gospel good news, a grace that was given to each one of us as we, you know, trusted Christ as our Savior. And the thing is, is I think we could use a good dose of being least or less than the least because we think highly of ourselves. Sometimes we puff ourselves up even more and, and we, we end up getting in the way. Well, look what I did. Look what I accomplished with my hands. Not realizing is that we don't move and have our being within ourselves. We move and have our being within the God who made us. And the thing is, is Paul realized that. So much so that he says, I'm less than the least. Don't look at me. 
Yes, I, I have been saved by, you know, you know, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but don't look at me. I don't want you to look at Paul or Saul the Pharisee as someone who has it all together, who has every answer. He's saying, look to the Savior. Don't look to me. This is an example that, I, you know, I, as I was, you know, considering, you know, this use of this one word, the only time you'll see it in your New Testament, that someone else had the same mindset as one that was a, you know, a, a forebearer of the Messiah, and that was John the Baptist. And so I'm going to have you turn over to John chapter 3. Because there's an interesting dialogue that goes on here as we take a look at what John the Baptist says about himself, what Jesus says about John the Baptist, and then what Jesus says about John the Baptist in relation to every other saint that there is. Uh, Because, you know, Paul says, I'm less than the least. And John the Baptist says, you know, I must decrease, he must increase. So take a look at John chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 30. It says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. So here you have John the Baptist, which we know was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. But if you, if you take a look, uh, uh, well, you don't have to take a look, but in Matthew chapter 11, listen to what Jesus um, says in relation to John the Baptist now. Because John the Baptist is saying, he must increase, speaking of Christ, Christ must increase, I must decrease. And it says this in Matthew chapter 11, it says, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Which is a, a, a quote out of Malachi. Truly, I say to you, among the, those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. No one greater than John the Baptist. Now, this is Jesus speaking. So what is Jesus saying? That John the Baptist is greater than anyone else who was born of a woman? Why is that? Why would Jesus make that claim? Well, first, let's answer the question, how did John see himself? Okay, so if uh, you, you, can, you can have to stay in John chapter 3. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Because I want you to see how John saw himself. John chapter 3, verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. So Paul. Uh, John is speaking of Jesus. He says, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
And then a few verses later, verses 13 to 15, when Jesus came um, from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, look, it says in verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do uh, you come to me. But Jesus answers, he says, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So here you have John the Baptist who is, you know, grappling with the fact that Jesus is coming and, and, and he would be baptizing the Son of God, the Lamb of God, because John knew who Jesus was. John knew that he was the forerunner that would, you know, proclaim the coming Messiah. And so instead of wanting to baptize the Savior and to, to be like, wow, I had the, the opportunity to baptize the Savior, he says, no. You know, Lord, you should baptize me. Again, we see John getting out of the way and, and apart from Jesus actually proclaiming that, you know, let it be, you know, let it be this, which we know at his baptism is when the Father and the Spirit, you know, all proclaim that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And the Father said, you know, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, which to establish who Jesus was. But see, John didn't want to. He consented to because John understood who Jesus was. John didn't want it to be about him because he knew that the people needed a Savior, that they needed to see Jesus, not John. That's why he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John was all about getting out of the way. But why was John greater as Jesus said, well, I think there's a simple answer to that. The reason why John is greater is because he had the privileged call of God, just like Paul did as an apostle, as a prisoner, as a minister of the gospel, the one who would reveal that which was you know, hidden for ages to be a bearer of that good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, well, John had the privilege of the call of God to announce the coming of the Messiah. That's why John is greater than any other you know, man born by woman, because he was proclaiming the Savior. He was going to you know, set the stage for the Savior to come. And see, I mentioned out of Malachi chapter 3, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Well, that messenger is John the Baptist. And the preparing the way before me, the me is Jesus Christ. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, we have this proclamation of this messenger, this proclaimer that's going to come. And the reason why John is seen and, and you know, communicated and proclaimed by Jesus as being greater is because he had the privilege of being that mouthpiece by which the Messiah would be proclaimed to the world in his coming. That's why he's the greatest. See, John was the last Old Testament prophet of God. And we know from Malachi to Matthew, there's a 400 years of silence. And so when, when John the Baptist came on the scene, all of a sudden he is proclaiming the truth of the Messiah 
a privileged position. And he didn't get that position because of who John was. It was because of God's choice to use John for God's glory, to, to, to make sure that the world would know that Jesus was the promised Messiah and that he was the final prophet, Jesus Christ himself, who was prophet, priest, and king. See, like the prophets of old, too, we can look at John because John called the nation of Israel to repentance. You know, John also rebuked the king, which we know did not end well for him. But he also endured persecution. So he was just like the prophets of old, but he was the herald. He was the proclaimer. He was the one that had the privilege of announcing the Messiah and calling people to repentance and faith and trust in him. And so that's why he says, he, Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. Because John didn't want people following him because he was baptizing and you know calling people to repentance as if he was the one who could do something or change them. He got out of the way so that everyone would see the Messiah, not John the Baptist. And the other question is, is why is the least in the kingdom of heaven greater than John? Because we have Jesus saying that there, you know, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But then he finishes out verse 11 saying, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So we've got all this less and greater happening. So why is the least in the kingdom of heaven greater than John? Well, I think it's a pretty simple answer. Well, first, we know that from Matthew 14 that John was beheaded, uh, that John, you know, uh, gave his life. He was persecuted and ended up, uh, because of rebuking the king, uh, you know, losing his life. So, see, John died before seeing Jesus die on the cross, be buried, and be risen from the dead. Before... He realized Jesus fulfilling the law, saying that I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law because Jesus Christ was able to keep the law perfectly because he was the sinless son of God. He kept it in every nuance, you know, and not only the letter of the law, but the essence of the law itself. But see, John didn't see that. He didn't see Jesus establishing the new covenant in his blood as he did that last Passover meal, as the old sacrificial system was realized in Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God. Because John died before that happened. And so it says here, why is the least in the kingdom of heaven greater than John? It's because since the culmination of everything that Jesus Christ accomplished, the fact that he said it is finished, that he he died in obedience to the Father's will so that he could be Savior, is that you and I are looking back to that. So even though John was the greatest as the one who was the the proclaimer and the herald of the coming Messiah, that we can look back and, and know all of those things to be true, that we are under the new covenant in his blood. And so that's why the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John, because he didn't get to see the Messiah finish his work. He died before that happened.
Since the culmination of Christ's work, even the least in the kingdom of heaven knows spiritual rebirth through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what this means. That's why the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Even though John had the privilege of being one called to announce the coming Messiah, and as even as we look at Paul, who said he's less than the least, he wanted to make sure that no one confused following the man, the earthly one, as John, you know, uh, it says in uh, John chapter 3, because he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. So John the Baptist spoke in an earthly way. Paul spoke in an earthly way. But he who came from above, who is Jesus Christ, the one that Paul had the privilege of being a proclaimer of the good news of salvation for, John the Baptist, who had the privilege of preparing the way for the Messiah. Both men saw Jesus. Both men saw people's need of Jesus in his work. So they removed themselves from the equation. They didn't elevate themselves. They didn't have people, you know, following them, which when you think about it, and and when you look at the current culture that we live in, if you look even within the church itself, how many times have pastors or teachers elevated themselves so that they are at the focal point and not Jesus? He must increase. I must decrease. I don't want people to look to me. I want people to look to the Savior. I'm just the mouthpiece by which the truth comes. I'm the mailman. And sometimes the bills come. But do you see the importance of stepping aside? Do you see the importance of the glory going to God and not to men, because that's what men are prone to do. Because we we like the kudos. We like to, to be elevated. We like the pat on the back. We like the limelight. People will do anything to get their, their few moments in the limelight and be on television. Because that's the selfish side. That's the prideful side of men coming out. And see, Jesus changes all of that. We we don't look at ourselves in the same light any longer. And what you'll find is the more that you delve deeper into your your walk with the Lord, the more you're going to see him and less you're going to see of yourself and your selfish ways. doesn't mean that God is erasing who you are because he knows you by name, because he's a personal God. But the thing is, is what the Spirit is doing, he's removing all of that pride, all of that selfishness, and replacing it with what we should rightly have as children of God, and that is an all and a worship of him and him alone. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, I close with this quote in a scripture. But Spurgeon said, but while Paul was thus thankful for his office, his success in it greatly humbled him. The fuller a vessel becomes, the deeper it sinks in the water. A plenitude of grace is a cure for pride. 
You know, what did Paul say? It's a gift of God's grace. This grace was given. It was given to me by the working of God's power, his power. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 8, says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles. So now he's the least of the apostles as well. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Do you see the removal of self in all of that? When having the opportunity to say, hey, look at me, it's still Paul. Yep, I might be doing something a little bit different, but it's still Paul. No. Paul removed himself from it. It was all about Jesus. He says, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, Paul and John both had an honest assessment of who they were before the holy, holy, holy God of all. God appointed Paul and John just as he's appointed each one of us in his service. Now, you may not be the pastor in the pulpit. You may not be the teacher in the Sunday school. But we are all called into his service. We are all part of one body. As a matter of fact, we're going to be coming up here not much longer and talking about the unity of that body, that we all have a role within that, that we've all been called to service, to glorify God, for us to move out of the way and watch God work. Because it's about God. It's not about you and me. It's about God getting the glory, about God continuing to transform us, about God doing that great work in us. So may we be humbled by this and rightly exalt God, sinking deeper and deeper into the plenitude of of God's grace in our calling and election. See, we we need a good dose of this medicine. We need to see that we need to, to, to step aside. We need to surrender whatever we're holding on to, no matter what it may look like, and trust in faith in the God who saved us. Because it's then, when we are humbled, that we will see God as he is. We'll watch him work and do things that we could not possibly imagine. Where he will work and meet needs that we we, we could not imagine. Because he's drawn us closer to him as we seek to step out of the way. Because we're doing things in the right order now. Remember I told you the acronym JOY, Jesus, others, you? God's first. Others second, yourself last. Paul had it the other direction. It was all about him first. But see, that's why he was humbled. That's why he considers himself less than the least. That he's the least of all the apostles. Not because he's trying to make penance in some sort of way, but he sees himself. He sees how horrible and ugly 
he was towards God, towards Jesus Christ, towards God's children, and realizes that he has been blessed beyond measure because it's by the grace of God with him that he was able to do the things that he did. Not so that he could get the the pat on the back so he could feel accomplished, but so that he could glorify God through every thought, word, and deed, no matter where he found himself, whether on a ship, whether shipwrecked, whether before the Jews in the, the temple or Gentiles in cities or before those that were in leadership, before kings. It wasn't about Paul. It was about Jesus. He understood, just like John the Baptist, that he needed to decrease and that Christ needed to increase. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, Lord, um, sometimes it's hard for us to swallow our pride. Sometimes we don't realize just how selfish we can be or sometimes how selfish we are. Lord, we thank you for the examples of John the Baptist and of Paul that we've looked at this morning. And Father, our prayer today is is that uh, we would decrease and that you would increase, that you would humble us in the areas that we need humbling so that you may exalt us in the proper time that you will lift us up because it's in our humility that we find our exaltation, not the other way around. And so, Father, Lord, we ask that you would teach us, that you would guide us in your truth today, that you would help us to truly see ourselves as we are, that your spirit would affect change, and that we could just like Paul and John the Baptist, point people to you, point people to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because it is his name, his blood, his power that saves, that changes, that transforms. Not what we do. It's what you do. And so, Father, may you receive the honor and the glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.